Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And I am delighted to have my mentor, uh, Alex Chisel. And Alex is um, uh, set up his own business. He's an entrepreneur by nature and his uh, podcast and the podcast he teaches people are all around entrepreneurship. And he has a business called Screw It, Just Do It. And a great background with Virgin, which we're going to hear about in the second half in the Inspired Leadership Extra part for the podcast. But Alex, welcome. Great Thank to you. Great to have you back and we and uh, to be on each other's podcast. Um, just tell us a bit now, in a, in a short moment, of what you're doing right now. Yeah, so, so right now I am helping leading brands and entrepreneurs um, essentially find their own voice um, by through the power of podcasting, by, by having their own podcast, through marketing, through the audio channels um, to educate their existing customers and attract more like-minded um, listeners that will then go on to become paying customers for those brands and, and entrepreneurs. So that, that's my main focus. And, and I you know, teach um, other entrepreneurs to um, put their own podcast together themselves if they don't fit into that you know, Great. niche. And, and thinking about um, leadership, which is the topic of this series, Inspiring Leadership, who have you found you've worked for or with who were quite inspiring to you and have shaped the leader you are today? Yeah, well, I, I left, I, was, I, I literally went from university to um, the BBC. It was like a trainee news journalist and uh, left there to see the world with Virgin Atlantic. Um, so it's probably no great stretch to say that Sir Richard Branson was probably the, the biggest influence and he essentially inspired me to eventually leave Virgin Atlantic and, and set up my own business because I just found I had this itch to scratch. Um, and I just you, you couldn't see put it him off. much? Or yeah, it's, it's funny when you, you know, again, you, you look back and hindsight is the wonderful thing it is. Um, but we used to see a lot of him um, back in like 90s, early noughties, um, literally be flying out on the aeroplane, um, staying over, um, you know, I've had many a party from LA to South Africa with with Richard. Um, and, and it's only now that I look back and I think, I wish I'd asked him more when I look back and think he was actually younger than me and he had an airline and a record company. But, you know, there I was partying in a room instead and doing, I don't know, yeah, vodka shots with um with with Richard Branson instead of actually asking him questions about how he built yeah you know billion pound business. But how, how old is he now? Um, I he's I think he's either just turned seventy or is coming up to seventy. I'm sure it's like sixty nine seventy. Um, and at the time I look back, I was like you know mid twenties, and you just think, well, I was just enjoying myself mm. and not thinking um about starting a business in any way, shape, or form. So. Yeah. Hey. Okay, that's good. So it's him. And who else yeah. Who else has inspired you? And what, um, what were their qualities? I, I would say, having chatted to you earlier for my podcast, and um, I would say my mother, yeah. funnily enough, because 
she went from um, from separating with my father, um, and I was 10, 11 at that time, and her bringing up two boys on her own, um, moving them from England to Cardiff in yeah. Wales. Um, and I got pretty unruly, uh, you know, when you kind of, again, you look back and you trace behavior and you're like, well, kind of no surprise, really. I lost that kind of father figure. Um, and I can remember that conversation with him that he said, I'm moving back to Canada. He was Canadian had moved from Canada to the UK, but I can specifically remember that yeah. moment. Um, and you know, I thought she was uber strict, especially when I look how I am with my kids now. And you think, well, she actually needed to be, um, but you know, very disciplined, but yeah. very, you know, clear in what she wanted us to do. Um, How many brothers and sisters? So one brother, so two of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I was the kind of. But what were mum's qualities? Was... What were mum's qualities that you admire? Um, apart from being strict. Apart from being strict, um, the ability to be able to talk to absolutely anybody, yeah. whether that was the queen or some little old lady in the street that she'd, she'd never met before. And to see her now, you know, and, and she never um, remarried, never had another relationship um, until about seven or eight years ago, funnily enough, like when she was well into her 70s, you know, in her late 60s, early 70s. But she specifically did that, you know, for the, for the sake of bringing us up. And, and in hindsight, of course, you know, me and my brother were like, we wish you had. Um, but um, see her now to go into a room and just walk up to somebody. And the art of networking, really, to walk up to somebody and literally go, hi, I'm Sandra. How are you? What do you do? That's brilliant. And you think so many people you go to events who like, you know, and I'm guilty as an ex-person just to stand and think, I don't know anybody here. What, what do I do? You know, yeah. and people think I'm really confident, but if I don't know anybody, I'm a, I'm a different animal. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a great gift to have for, for any leader to be able to speak to absolutely anybody. Yeah. Very good. And then thinking about from those two people who inspired you, we as leaders, we often make some pretty big howlers and blunders and mm. good leaders can learn from their mistakes and only the strong can be vulnerable. Yeah. What about, what about your mistake uh, or mistakes, habits that you had in the past that you've changed, which has shaped you as a leader? Um, I think not listening. Um, or, Sorry? <laughs> or, or just listening to my own voice uh, and not actually, um, you know, thinking of specific examples of, you know, me trying to do absolutely everything. You know, here is the manifesto. Let you guys go and deliver it. And when things aren't working, just go, we'll do them twice as hard, twice as fast. But instead of actually asking their opinions on why this particular strategy wasn't working, why you thought it might not be working, what could you suggest that we might be able to do differently? Mm. Uh, and I've tried to, I've definitely taken that on board in, in, the, in, the, in the current business with the, with the media agency, the podcast agency, yeah. um, and literally, and, and I think I've noticed that because people within my organization are actually making suggestions without me asking for them. Yeah. So that to me is quite a clear sign that they feel comfortable. Yeah to put ideas into into the space and on it. Yeah. And you know, they're suggesting how we can improve the business. So why shouldn't I? I'd be stupid not to listen. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and I always remember, this was a, a Richard Branson, he would, uh, when he was on board the aircraft, he would have like completely old school, said he, could, he couldn't even send an email. He had notepad and pen, and he would spend like a seven hour flight to New York walking around the aircraft, 
asking people questions on what he wow. thought they could improve in the airline. And I thought he could just sit in upper class with his feet up for seven hours, watching movies, catching up on his sleep, working on his businesses. But no, he decided, and yes, there's a- Talking to the passengers. Talking to the passengers and not just passengers in upper class. He'd be down in economy, in premium economy, chatting to everybody. And I noticed, you know, that is one of the things I did notice at that age, him doing that. Because other people in the in the crew be going, what's he doing that for? He could be, you know, getting asleep in an upper class bed. And I thought, part of it has got to be PR because he is the world's yeah. expert in PR. Yeah. Yeah. But he was listening. Yeah, no, he was listening. He, 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 I do admire him. He is one of the people I, I, I respect. Finally, um, what would be your short top tip to people to be better leaders? Um, top tip on how people can become better leaders. Um, I think it's passing on lesson that I've just learned myself really um, to not be afraid to ask people mm. their opinion yeah. and completely related to that is to listen. You know, for me that seeing Richard Branson, remembering back my, you know, one abiding memory is him, you know, asking questions. And I think the better the questions you ask, the better your answers are going to be. Brilliant. Alex, thank you. It's a great pleasure thank having, you having you me on, on Appreciate the podcast. It. And congratulations and good luck with all you do. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman Perks, and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra. And Alex Chisnell and I are from Screw It, Just Do It, are talking about his life and his experiences and inspiring leadership lessons. So, Alex, let's let's go back to childhood. Um, where were you born, and you know what happened in those early years? Uh, so, I was born in High Wycombe, yep. Buckinghamshire. Yeah. Um, but I was only there having looked at the certificate for something like 70 days before family moved to Canada, where my father was born, his father was born in Canada, et cetera, et cetera. Which part of Canada? Um, So we lived in a place called Oakville, just outside of Toronto, East Coast. Um, But family originates from um, Quebec. Yeah. The French-speaking province. So from a place called St. Lambert. Yeah. Over there. Um, And then I lived there for um, five, six, seven years. Brother was born there and then moved back um, to the UK. Did you pick up any French when you were over there? No, I've never been a good French student. It's one of those things that have crept up on one's wish list as one's got older. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, we settled um, a village called Wargrave just outside Henley on Thames, which was my kind of childhood memories, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the big turbulent times, of course, was when your parents split. Yep. How old, how old were you then? I I can remember the day that my father took me over to the park because our house was opposite the park in Cardiff, where my mum had moved moved us back from um, Wargrave in in Buckinghamshire to um, to Cardiff, where her family were. So she had that network around her. You know, my parents split up. He was moving back to Canada, um, and I was starting secondary school. So I was either ten or eleven. Right when that happened, yeah. yeah. And what do you remember of that time? Um, all I can remember are the rows. Uh, I've literally in my mind I just have a picture of my mother and father stood up in the lounge or the dining room in the house just 
shouting at each other and our dog golden retriever just leaping up and barking that's like my memories of yeah. uh, them together unfortunately um and i'm sure it's the same for, for many other people out there you only you only kind of remember those flashpoints yeah um and how's that shaped that that horrid experience how's that shaped what drives you and motivates you and what matters to you and and sort of the fears and hopes you have yeah no really good question um i would say uh, looking back now that definitely um impacts me in how i want my relationship to be with my children i've got two girls who you know again are literally that age one turned 11 last week amelia and evie's just about to turn 13 so very formative um and seeing how they're getting on at school um, and my relationship with them and trying to be more mindful of if there's a flashpoint trying to walk away and not get into a back and forth charity match because nobody wins in that situation Um, and just a flashpoint and in the last couple of months with my eldest he's about to turn 13 at school um, with you know discipline in, in school that kind of thing and and I mean, she. We had people say, you know, we're peas in a pod, and I just thought, right, do not replicate the mistakes because I went off the rails at that age, yeah. brought home by the police, which I'm obviously oh, not yeah, very proud cool. of. What, what happened there? Um, oh, a number of times, and my mum was having a dinner party the first time, um, so you know, she opened the door and uh, you know, room full of people looking out from the dining room, and there's <laughs> me at 11 years old with a <laughs> police officer. With a police officer who we knew, you know. And what was he bringing um, you home for? We've been. Oh, we just became. You know, one of those things of, I don't think I was the worst person in the world, but I was um, a bit of a sheep and I was drawn towards um, maybe not the right crowds. And it was from the other side of the sticks that people, our school attracted people from multiple areas, but my mum had moved us to like the best area in Cardiff to go to the best school. Um, And you know, it accepted X amount of people from, you know, different areas who had different upbringings and um, a little bit rough around the edges, so we say, so ended up with them. And I would say it probably looked at these days as, um, you know, messing about with fireworks and that, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, not, not a good look at, th- at that age really. And not when my daughters are, you know, similar age. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, is that old quote that I said before with Steve Jobs is only when you look back you can join the dots and you know 100% there's no other explanation other than that breakup of my yeah. parents and me losing that kind of role, fa- model. role model father yeah. figure that and, and my mum became the one who meted out the discipline and mm. tried to keep us in line because you know it's funny we've got a I'm going to be 50 in April and congratulations um, thank you and um school reunion which I've never been to one in my life and oh, someone yeah. started it last year so we've got school reunion and it's when you know due to social media you can see what everybody's doing these days and all the banter starts on the messaging platforms about yeah. what happened to who and who's not with us anymore and um, have you lost some of some done? yeah but you know people have, you know the people I used to hang around with you know you know someone you know died uh, you know someone's in jail somebody died from um, you know drugs uh you know various kind of stories like that and when you look back and you just think they could have been you i could have gone down 
a different route because yeah. being brought home by the police is not an experience that everybody has in their life, I'm sure. And it happened to you more than once. Yeah, yeah. Just in that period when I was yeah. like 11 to 13, you know, literally pushing the boundaries, finding out what I could and couldn't get away with. And my mother would have thought I was being at a friend's house, but we weren't. We were hanging on the street corner at the shops, you know, yeah. trying to get someone to buy us some beer or cider or whatever it was, you yeah. know. Um, thank you. I've ever talked about this before, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just so fascinating what, what makes us all up and what shapes mm. us and, and, uh, you know, makes you that super entrepreneur you are who encourages others to have a go, take a risk, mm. but in a much more measured way is what, yeah, what measures I see. The key. Yeah. yeah you, you, you've certainly given me the courage to have a go at things and try things new. And you're very generous by nature of sharing your insights and your knowledge. Mm. Um, and that's why the, you know, the courses you do are so good and people enjoy them because you're, you're helping others. Okay, so from school, um, did you finish school? Did you go to university or did you cop out early and, and go no, no. work? No, I, I ended up um, resetting my A-levels, going to university. Where did you go? Um, so I went to Bath, okay. Bath Spa University. Um, did it did it know what was coming when you arrived? <laughs> Watch out, Alex is coming. It was it was best three years of my life. Um, at you know, looking back, I, I love what I'm doing now, and I love my my life. Looking back, those those were three three of the best years of my life, and my best friends um, are my best friends from. Yeah, I've got two friends from school, and I've got two friends from university. They're not my closest, and then friends from when I've. Now, grow you know, last twenty years spent at Pool and Dorset, but you you look back and those were again really formative years, um, you know. And one of my my best friend from school reset his A levels with me, so that was a you know quite a bonding year. Yeah. Um, it wasn't quite a big thing going out of Wales, I mean, leaving Wales and going to. Well, I didn't go far. far. I went forty, that, yeah, 40 yeah, minutes. Just, I went forty so minutes. So you could rush right. back. If so every run. weekend I was back with my washing. Yeah. So <laughs> mum was still looking after you. <laughs> yeah, to a certain degree. Is your mum still alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mum's she um, still do your washing. She'll be eighty next year. She doesn't do my washing anymore. That privilege goes to my wife. Yeah, but Not. I do remember when I used to go home to Halifax to, to my mother, and you know, she'd go, "Oh, darling, you look a bit tired. Go and have a sleep." You know, always. And that is why I have my afternoon naps. I'm sure it was from my mother. Um, she'd always sort of care for you, and you'd just relax into child mode when you got back. And, uh, oh, just well, still now you go back, and she literally, uh, I can see where I get a sweet tooth from because you walk in the door, and it's literally like. Cups of tea, biscuits, chocolate, sweets, yep. and I'm just like, <laughs> hang a minute. And I'm, you know, as I told you before, doing the 75 hard. I'm like, no sugar, no caffeine, um, tell, tell, no sweet treats. Tell, tell the uh, the podcasters what uh, 75 hard is. Okay, so 75 hard is a free program designed by a guy called Andy Frizzella. That um, I listen to his podcast, which um, which you can. Uh, uh, which is called the MF CEO Project. And the program is, it's a mental toughness, uh, mental fortitude program with physical benefits. So um, the things you do for 75 days without a break are drinking a gallon of water a day, exercising twice a day minimum 45 minutes each one has to be outdoors no matter what the weather whether it's raining hailing snowing whatever it is got to be done outdoors um follow a food plan no cheap meals uh no alcohol 
and read 10 pages of a self-improvement slash entrepreneurship book every day. And you're doing it? I did it last summer and I what had- What difference did it make to you then? Uh, it was the best. Uh, well, I, I achieved my, when I, when I sat down in that Christmas New Year and wrote out all my goals for that year, um, it was when I look back, when I was doing 75 hard, I'd literally nailed most of them and the others I've manifested since. Really? And so when I look back, I had the most successful month, year of my life. Wow. So, and I manifested my number that one was, goal. That was work as well as life? Yep. So I just thought, why wouldn't I want to start off 2020 the same, in the same mindset? Um, and it's mental, you know, it's, you know, the physical things, people are like, I don't know how you could drink a gallon of water. They must be, you know, peeing all the time. It's like, yeah, you probably are for the first 10 days, but after that, it's like anything. I, I you know, work out a process for it um, that I would drink X amount by when. Um, I would, again, the same as the exercise, I literally get up, the alarm goes off. I don't even think about whether I get up or not. You know, this whole thing about 21 day, you form a habit, 28 day, you know. They, yeah, three, you know, two, one, go. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of the studies, you know, that Sandy Frizzella was saying is that's actually a load of rubbish. It actually takes more like 60 something days for it to become ingrained. New neural pathways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you don't even question, you, you, you just get up, put on your kit, go out the door and run or whatever you do. Um, you know, it's not a conversation in your mind when you go oh no it's too cold oh it's too dark oh it's too wet you just do it because it's you're doing it it's, it's very good when you can be consistent isn't it yeah this is it um and, and that's what i find developing those how much habits sleep, how much sleep do you get at night so one of my goals for this year was to get more sleep to get more recovery what, what, i mean what what do you so i found hours? out at the end of last year i was probably getting away with Less than six hours. Yeah, that's not um, really good. And I had my DNA tested last year, so I got really into mine. With, with who? Who do you do that with? Uh, called Circle DNA. Okay, no. Uh, good? Um, yeah, yeah, amazing. A guy called Avi Lazaro, um, okay. it's his business. Um, Circle DNA, uh, fantastic. You can literally measure everything. But what did you learn from it? Oh, impacted me in so many different ways from uh, being able to tell... Um, that I had like low low strength, low low stamina, DNA, and this is just in your DNA. You can change, you know, these things through training, etc. But that I was deficient in um, B vitamins. That I had a high sensitivity to carbohydrates, high sensitivity to alcohol. I could go on and on. Really, literally. And do you reckon it's genuine, or is it all a bit pop psychology? No, no, hundred percent. It is the most detailed. Um, DNA analysis in the world. Was it quite this company? Yeah, it is. It's not much, cheap. What, what is it? You can um, you can start from something like three or four hundred pounds. Oh right, so it's a lot. And yeah. mine was the top package, which is like a thousand pounds for wow. it. But um, it's amazing what you can find out. And it, you you look back and you you know it makes a lot of sense when you look back at different times in your life and why I've always struggled, for example, to build muscle. You know your your, your body type, things like that. Um, I find really, really. Well, no, it would it would interest me. I might save up. 
mm. for circle DNA. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so you look in great shape and you certainly you. look like you've you lost a, what, a stone, you said? Yeah, I lost a stone doing it a second time round, which okay. I put on between finishing it last time and Christmas. Um, but more than that, you know, I've... So what, lot, what's, what's changed? What's improved? So, so like physically, you know, for me it's more mentally, but just like people kind of jump onto the physical. So physically I've, I've lost a stone. Um, my body fat's gone down from 21.6 to 16.9%. Percent. Percent. Uh, my metabolic age has gone down to 29 years old. Wow. Which is pretty insane. And that's, uh, you know, you know, metabolic age. And that's on the scales, is it? You do it on the scales. Yeah, yeah. So it's like anything, you just track it, and it might not be 100% accurate, but if you do it on that thing yeah. all the time... It, it gives you something. It gives you something, and it's basically based on, you know, body fat yeah. percentage, your, your metabolic age. So that's pretty incredible, because when yeah. I started it, it was literally like 47, 48. What was? You know, my metabolic age. Really? And I've got that down to 29. That's very good. Which is pretty cool. But more than that, it's I have unbelievable energy. I don't get tired. And I don't know whether that's just the water. It's probably it's a combination of all of those things, I'm sure. But I don't get tired. That has yeah. been the biggest thing. I'm literally bouncing off the walls. Yeah. Uh, with with energy and um, when when I achieve when I did it the first time round and I achieved so my my number one goal and it might sound ridiculous to some people was to get my podcast to the number one rate, rated show. Yeah. Yep. And I did that. And when I did that, I just thought, wow, I set that as a goal, but. Did I actually really believe it at the time? I don't know. But actually, that shows me that anything is achievable. And I might have said that to my kids before, anything is achievable. Again, is that just something that I throw around and don't actually believe? But now, I 100% believe that if you put your mind to it, um, if you actually take the action steps to make it happen consistently, yeah. you'll get there. And for me, it was just, again... It didn't happen overnight, you know. That you know, I was a ten-year overnight success story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that kind of five thousand hours thing. It was yeah. just being consistent, and there were times that I got a little bit bored, you know, with the podcast, for example, um, and it was just kind of on autopilot. But then when I made it my focus, um, it grew and it grew and it grew, and yeah, we started getting number two. So how, how many how many people listened? Do you reckon to your podcast? Do you have an idea? Uh, yeah, it's like 140,000, just close to 140,000. That's a lot of people. And now this year, 142 countries. Wow. Which I even found a country, <laughs> showed my youngest daughter last week that I'd never heard of. And which I was one? like, this has taught me geography. And I can't remember the name of it. Now you've typically asked yeah. me. But it was uh, an island between Sweden and uh, Russia that most people think is either Swedish or Finnish, but is actually its own All right. country. Um, and I was like, I'd have to find out. But, it, it, you know, things like that blow my mind. And, yeah. and you know, really totally and utterly random But But the, the, the ranking goes up and down, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. So one minute you'll be number one, the next minute you'll be 24, and then... Oh, no, hundreds then. You'd be, you'd be completely out, and you'd be like, well, why did... Uh, well, what is it? Know. Is this good for new people coming on? You've got to constantly feed the beast. Yeah, this, this is it. It is that kind of hamster wheel that you have to feed the beast that, um, you know, it is based on, you know, so podcast success, i.e. chart position is based on new subscribers, new downloads, and to a certain degree, new ratings and reviews. Yeah, um, yeah. That is the algorithm, it, which is why it's a great opportunity for anybody wanting to get into that space because 
you think the Joe Rogans of this world, who um, I read recently uh, brings him 50 million a year, his podcast, which is insane. Well, he makes $50 million yeah. a year. Yeah, his article I read, unbelievable. Um, but he, he has adverts on the front of his, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, which I, I haven't gone down that route. I've, I've left mine free. I you know, believe in this trickle-down effect that all of these amazing opportunities that have come my way um, yeah. have led to, yeah. you know. Uh, it, it's, got to, it's got to fit with your values and doesn't fit with mine. No. Okay. No. And um, let's go. Let's go back and uh, have a look at sort of what shaped you in business and as an entrepreneur, and you know, working for Richard Branson, being on those airplanes with him, and then going off on your own. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So I went straight from uni to BBC Radio Wales in Cardiff, and I interviewed back the, to like, Wales. Back to Wales. Interviewed. Yeah. Literally went from Bath back over the bridge to uh, to Wales yeah. and um, interviewed the likes of um, Lennox Lewis, who was heavyweight champion of the world at the time he was, when he's fighting Frank Bruno, um, Neil Kinnock, you know, leader of the opposition at the Labour Party, those kind of people. And then... Or were they given to you or did you have to go and find them yourself? I was always shadowing chief reporter. That's how I kind of got my chops. And then I segued into youth programming. So a youth channel that was you know, reviewing uh, what's on in and around South Wales that week. So I I loved it. I was literally like, you know, 21 and I was going to movie premieres, theatre premieres, be getting like the press packs and I'd be there with these, you know, old kind of doughty looking journalists in their their Macs back back in the day. Um, And I just think I was living the life, you know, I was living at home. So my overheads were, you know, minimal. Um, But I'd spent my summers coaching in America yeah. at uh, Camp America, Bunek, yes. on the East Coast. What did you learn from there as a, as a leader? Uh, Camp America, yeah. how to party hard. Uh, do you know what? It was um, having, so I had a cabin of 10-year-old boys to look after. Oh, right. And I had no experience kind of thrown into it, you know, and that was really interesting. You know, I had... And it was a church camp, which again, I didn't know till I went there. So there were people from very... Were you particularly religious? No, I was brought up as a, a Catholic by my mum. But, you know, it's like first day at Bath University, stopped going, stopped going to church. Um, although we've started going, you know, since I've had my girls and, and they've been christened, etc. cetera. But um, going, going back to Look that Look up the 10-year-olds. Looking after 10-year-olds. Looking after 10-year-olds. Yeah, so, so a lot of them came from a really, really underprivileged background, right. which I didn't know. And there were others there who were homesick. And I was like, you know, 21-year-old boy, just spent three years at university playing rugby, um, yeah, drinking beer. And, rugby and, um, yeah, yeah my, my biggest, um, when it comes to sport, rugby and American football. And... Um, yeah, that was that was how really did you, how interesting. How did you cope with that? Was it quite uh, overwhelming? Thinking oh, it, it was, but I, I I kind of you know learned by the the other counsellors in in the camp who were a little bit older than me, who were you know um, who were who were American, who were who were um, who'd been working in the camp year on year, and um, learned from them. And you know you bond with these kids, you form relationships. I was there, you know, the whole summer, and um, I loved it. It was the best summer of my life. That that last really? summer I did. Ah, hundred percent. What made it so good? Uh, I suppose looking back again, it was a combination of uh, you know I love my sport, so I was literally doing sport every day. So I was coaching tennis, football slash soccer, canoeing. Um, I was out 
in the outdoors, in the open air. It was an outdoor tennis court in a forest. Um, and I was helping people learn. So again, yeah. it's only when you look back and you join the dots that I can see that these are all of my... You like helping people. I like helping people. I like my health, my fitness, like being in the outdoors, um, all those kind of things. Yeah. So um, yeah, really, really formative, to be honest with you. Really formative, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then um, Virgin? Yeah, so, so I literally went from the BBC, had my eye drawn to... So I love... I saw at Virgin Atlantic, um, and it, again, it was my it was my mother basically, and she was a, a great traveller. She moved to Canada when she was seventeen. So my my grandfather was captain of uh, merchant ships, so he travelled yep. the world with these massive tankers. Like he'd go to Brazil and get a load of brown sugar, take it up to Canada and drop it off in Quebec. And she just said one day, I want to jump jump ship. So he said, okay, well, you're, you're seventeen you're legal, go, which is amazing to like look back now, but she did, met my father and- um, Age 17. A little bit older, um, met my father and and settled there. Um, So she was always big into her travel and I, you know, my eye was drawn to travel, and the opportunity to see the world, Virgin Atlantic, she basically told me to go for the interview, kicked me out of bed. I was just lying around on a Saturday morning. She literally drove me to Cardiff Airport. Um, I didn't even know what the job was. I thought it was like a baggage handler or something. I had no clue what the job actually was. Oh, what was the job? Uh, cabin crew. Oh, right, you cabin crew. Yeah, so I oh, literally cool, started that? as cabin crew. So you, you um, must have listened to Catherine Baird on my podcast. Yeah. In charge of 22,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. Emirates. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that yeah. was really cool. But I finished up as it, yeah, funny enough, so I, I most people, as I found out, the same as me, they joined and they're like, I'm going to do this for two years and we're going to see all the destinations, I'm going to have a great time and then I'm going to go and do a proper job, you know. Right. Um, but it's a really addictive lifestyle. And how long do you stay? Travel. Uh, 16 and a half years. What? You were cabin crew for 16 and a half Well, I finished years. up as a manager. Okay. I went, went as far as I could go. So you were a purser, were you? Yeah, purser, then supervisor. Wow. Um, and then I went for a job to be um, a cabin crew manager. Yeah. And it's funny, when, again, hindsight, uh, I was told by the chap running that department that I'll, he said, you know, call me, I'll be interviewing you. Job's in the bag. So, you know, what do you do? You go away and you don't prepare for it because you always have the job in the bag. Get there. Someone else is interviewing me, completely and utterly thrown. Oh, no. Didn't get the job, funnily enough. But in hindsight, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because I would have been commuting. I'd moved to Poole and Dorset then because I'd met my girlfriend, then wife, at the airline on a flight to LA. She was beauty therapist in upper class, Carly. And... Um, it would have meant I would have been one of these people. A beauty commuting. therapist in upper class—that's a throwaway line. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Why was she traveling upper class? Oh no, so she was part of the crew, right? As a beauty therapist, looking oh, up, doing like uh, manicures and massages oh, yes, to the upper yes. class passengers. Yeah, right. So when the when nine eleven happened, uh, the airline Sir Richard made a decision that you could fly an airline without needing a busy therapist so they made all 300 of them redundant I know um, but yeah is what it is yeah um, yeah, yeah. Okay. and I decided to go at the same time so she was made redundant and I decided um, that there would be a nice bit of symmetry 
if I took voluntary redundancy at the same time. I always said I would leave before I was 40 and I wished I'd left before because it had become, uh, I, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I was just doing it. I could do the job with my eyes shut. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of the problems, of course, um, I know this has come out, but um, uh, Catherine was talking about her uh, cancer that she had cured. But a lot of people who've done air steward and stewardesses, because of the the throwing of your whole circadian rhythm, mm. um, it's quite it's quite um, uh, an, an, an inflammatory as a lifestyle, mm. and and your body clock and everything else goes there. And a number of people get ill from all that travel and time zones and things, and get cancers and get ill. I don't know what you found. Yeah, and your peer group, and it's quite common. Um, you struggle um, to get pregnant. Yeah, our wife. Same thing, t- took quite a while. Yeah. And then it was only then when you look into it that this is actually a common thing because your uh, cycle is yeah. all over the place. As, yeah. as a female, you know, again, your circadian rhythm, like my sleep was all over the place. And I always remember a friend of mine who left, joined the fire brigade, and now as a station manager in, in, in Kent, Mark, he said to me, it'd take about a year for you to get that out of your system, yeah. just like health. And, and he was right. Literally yeah. took about a year for me to feel like what normal, whatever normal is. Yeah. But just felt like, you know, horrible a yeah. lot of the time. Oh, cracking. Yeah. Tough, 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 tough. So let's just end with some thoughts on um, inspiring leadership and, and the people you've met and what you've learned from them. You know, you've met some really fascinating people and entrepreneurs and things like that. What, mm. what have you learned which you could share with people listening about being better leaders and taking risks and having a go and that kind of stuff? Just give us a couple of minutes of your thoughts. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I think I'm on uh, coming up to episode 250 for, for my show. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, I've well, interviewed. Done, thank you, uh, and I've interviewed some, some amazing people. Um, for me, it's all been about the people and how that's you know exponentially grown my network and the opportunities that that's led to through me. Like they become friends. You know, people like. Piers Linney from Dragon's Den, Ray Kelvin from Ted Baker, Richard Reed from Innocent, you know, um, Holly Tucker from Not on the High Street, you know, people like that. Um, and I think, I think, few things. One is, you know, the, you know, when you're starting a business or you're, you're looking to change your life, the, the clue is in the title. Start, you know, and so many people aren't in control of their lives. Um, but you have to, you know, it's all very well putting it out to the universe and believing in the book, like The Secret and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, there's a lot to be said for. But if you don't actually take action and take a risk, but for me with, with you know, Sir Richard Branson was a great example. It was always a calculated risk. Mm. He'd always, you know, look at the downside, how expensive that would be, first of all, before making calculated risk. Um, and... You know, mitigating, mitigating mm. for for that risk, um, but creating a culture yeah. in that organisation. Um, so, you know, and I know he knows it because a friend of mine has been the the DJ on Necker Island where Richard, so Richard lives for the last two years, and I know he's he's told him stuff that you know. Do you know how many people now still meet up every year who don't work for Virgin Atlantic, haven't worked for Virgin Atlantic for twenty years, but still meet every year because they're right. friends to celebrate that fact. And even though we were paid one of the, you know a fraction of what British Airways were paid, for example, we wanted to work for Virgin Atlantic because it was so fun. It was yeah. just such a fun yeah. place, such a great environment. You're very lucky. You're very lucky. Oh, 100%. When I look back, I'd recommend anybody to 
uh, you know, go into that, but to leave before I did and do what you really want to do. Well, perfect time to finish. Alex, many thanks. Great Thank you very much. Lovely to be on the show. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.